got your Bibles this morning. Let's go back to the book of Nehemiah. You should be able to find it by now. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 10 this morning. Uh, we've been looking at building, battling, and becoming. And so far, we have seen the walls have been rebuilt. The gates have been restored. And now God is in the process of restoring his people, which is the most important building project of the entire book of Nehemiah. And so just a, uh, just a quick review. In chapter 8, after the walls have been rebuilt, the gates have been restored, we saw where the people had a solemn assembly. And we said they gathered collectively. They, they listened attentively as Ezra read from the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They responded correctly. In other words, they responded with repentance, with sackcloth, with ashes. And they left out of that assembly joyfully. Then in chapter 9, we see once again last week where the people, once again in the very first part of chapter 9, they begin the process of confessing their sins, okay? And so after they confessed their sins, different people got up and they read about the, the goodness of God. They reminded the people of just how good God had been to them, how God had brought them out of Egypt, brought them through the wilderness into the promised land, and that how he had been a faithful God, even though the people had not been faithful to him. Now, let's go to verse 38 this morning, and let's pick up there. And I want you to think about this this morning. Because of God's goodness to us, what should be our response to him? Okay? Because we see in chapter 9, verse 38, after they have been reminded of all the good things that God had done, God had provided for them. God had protected them. God was compassionate on them. He forgave them of their iniquities. He restored them. We see here that now because of all of this, we are making an agreement in writing. Now, I want to read this from the King James Version because I think it translates this a little bit better here because here's what the King James Version says. And because of all of this, we make a sure covenant. Now, one thing we realize from where we've been so far is there's a lot of spiritual fervor with the people in Nehemiah's days. They have wept. They have rejoiced. They are very emotional at this time. But how many knows that emotions do not last? You can come down to the altar and cry crocodile tears and then walk out an hour later, you're back to the same old stuff you were doing. And so even though these people were emotional about their commitment, they said that we will cut a covenant with God and we will write it down. Now, listen, in the Old Testament times, people would cut a covenant, okay? They wouldn't make one, they would cut a covenant. If you've ever read in Genesis chapter 15 when God made a covenant or cut a covenant with Abram, 
And what God told him to do is, Abram, I want you to take certain animals and I want you to slice them in two, cut them in half. And Abram took those carcasses in half and he put them on each side and made a little path in between there. And the Bible says that God walked through the middle of those carcasses cutting a covenant with Abraham saying, Abraham, I am going to be your God. I'm surely going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to give you the promised land. See, what we got to realize about a covenant is this. A covenant will always cost you something. It will always cost you something. And when you enter a covenant... You can't just make that covenant based on your emotions. And so the people say, listen, there's some things we're going to do. And just to prove we're going to do this, we're going to cut a covenant and we're also going to write it down what we are going to do. See, there's a reason why you can't just walk into a bank and go to the president and say, I'd like to borrow $150,000 to buy this house and just shake on it and walk out the door. You ever try to buy a house and you don't have the money to pay for it up front? Do you know how much stuff you've got to fill out? You've got to basically give your blood, right? You've got to basically have everything, including a note from your mother, right? You've got to sign all these. But why do they do that? Because they want you to know the seriousness of this agreement. It's not just something that you can, because, oh, we get excited about a new house, but nobody gets excited about the payments coming in month after month after month. And so a lot of people don't mind making commitments to God when they're on an emotional high. But that commitment will not last if it's simply based on emotions. And I want to look at chapter 10 this morning because there's three areas that God's people say they're going to make a covenant with God about. And I think this applies to us today. And I'm going to skip down to verse 28, I think it is, or verse 29 of chapter 10. The reason why, because in the first 28 verses of chapter 10, first of all, you don't want me reading all those names because I would probably butcher them. But what it basically says in the first 28 verses is it's listing the names of every person that signed this covenant with God. What was it that they said they would do? We will not give our daughters... To pagans and we will not take sons that are pagans and and allow them into our family as well see in those days parents made the marriage decisions and I think we should go back to those days <laughs> not the people getting married okay but this was crucial in ensuring that their children would not drift into idolatry and begin serving other gods. Now Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 1 says this. says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it, and clears away many nations before you. Skip down to verse 3 and 4. He says this. He says, you shall not 
intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters and their sons, nor shall you take daughters for your sons. Now, what's the reason why? It's simply this. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. That's why. Let me show you something in Scripture. Solomon was the wisest man in the Bible. Okay? The wisest man. Okay? Well, I know Jesus was wiser, but Jesus was fully God, fully man. Solomon was the wisest man in the Bible. But yet, the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 11, this about Solomon. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and the Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away uh, after their God, Solomon, held fast to these in love. Listen, he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David had been, for Solomon went after Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable out of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable out of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the detestable idol of sons of Ammon. Thus also he did all for his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Now in our culture today, as I said, we don't arrange marriages. Okay? The marriage partner is usually up to the daughter or is up to the son who they're going to marry. But God knows, and listen, this is not about racism here, foreign, but about being faithful to God. Okay? You understand this? This has nothing to do with them being a foreigner even a different skin color, it has everything to do with them not following the Lord. And I know we got mainly older folks in this service, but I'm going to tell you something, single people out there. The question is not, are they a good person? The question is not, do they come from a good family? It's not even, are they good looking? It's not even, well, are they well all financially? But the question is, do they share the same faith? Do they share the same faith? 
Because if they don't share the same faith, you are going directly against God's word. I didn't say do they go to church. Because a young man can straighten up for six months. Until you say I do. And then you'd wish you said I don't. See, in Malachi, God says that marriage is a covenant between the husband and the wife, between them and all the family and witnesses, but most importantly, it's a covenant between them and God. And you may say, well, that sounds good, Old Testament. Give me some, give me some New Testament scripture. Here we go. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Do not, everybody understand that word not here. He didn't say try not to. He says do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness or what harmony has Christ with Belial or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever or what agreement has the temple of God with idols for we are the temple of the living God just as God has said I will dwell in them and walk among them I will be their God they shall be my people therefore come out from their midst and be separate. That word bound together means do not join, do not couple with, don't get into the yoke with someone that is not a true Christian. Don't do it. Don't do it. I don't care how good looking they are, you're not that good of a missionary anyway. Because when you get in that yoke, we all know, I was reading this a couple days ago in my yearly Bible reading where God says, you know, don't yoke an oxen with a donkey. You may look and say, well, that's kind of crazy. Why would you not do that? Because they're two different animals with two different strengths and you would do damage to both animals when you do that. When you get into a yoke with somebody that is not a Christian, that doesn't have Christian values, that doesn't serve the Lord, you are going to bring upon yourself weariness and burdens that God never intended for you to have you know what's worse than being single and miserable it's being married and miserable being married to the wrong person just because you had to go get into the the yoke was empty so you said I'll get in there with them see believers and unbelievers are moving in two different directions we live in two different worlds. We're energized by two different powers. We're motivated by two different passions. 
You may say, well, they got some potential. No. We don't marry someone based on their potential. We marry someone based on their relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I'm going to say this. Listen, marriage is difficult enough for two believers. I was reading this this week, and you know, 1 Corinthians 7, 28, the Apostle Paul's talking to virgins here who want to get married, and he says this to the virgins, young virgins. He says, but if you marry, you've not sinned, yet such will have trouble in this life. I have never heard that read at a wedding. I have never in my life heard a preacher read that. I think the next wedding I'm going to read that. Because when you get married, and marriage is a gift, it's, it's a gift from God. It is God ordained. We should, you know, if, 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 if uh, you don't have the gift of celibacy, of singleness, then you should get married. But you got to realize that when you get married, you're going to introduce a whole new set of issues in your life that a single man or woman doesn't have. Okay? And so it is crucial for us, young people, single people, that you make a commitment that says this, I will not marry someone who is not a believer. I won't do it. And you know how you avoid marrying somebody that's not a believer? You don't date people that's not a believer. You don't date them. You just simply don't date them. Because listen, Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians 15, 30, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. When you hang around dogs, you will get fleas. Right? You can't be associating with people who are not Christians who are going a different direction and think it's not going to affect you. Now, again, I'm going to say this right here, just to throw this in here. I'm mainly talking to single people this morning because I want to say this. If you are married right now to an unbeliever, here's my advice to you, what the Apostle Paul said. Remain in the state you were called in. He's not telling you to go out and get a divorce because, well, you may you look at your life and say, you know what, I wish I wouldn't have married that person because it really brought a lot of heartache on my life. No. He says you remain in the situation you're in. You remain in that situation unless they commit adultery on you, then that gives you a reason to leave. Or unless they're an unbeliever and they simply abandon you, then that gives you a reason to let them go and you are free from that bondage. Rather than that, I can't find anything else in Scripture that says... You've got a reason just to simply walk out because you've got irreconcilable differences. I promise you this, the day that I got married, we had irreconcilable differences, and they still remain today. Everybody's got irreconcilable differences. We're not going to ever see things the same way. But those who have been married... I ain't going to ask somebody. I did it a couple weeks ago. I asked an older couple in the second service how long they've been married, and I almost started to fight because they got, they got it wrong. <laughs> Good job. But I'm just saying, 
Couples that have been married 50 and 60 years, they've had difficulties. They've had problems. They've had their disagreements. But yet they realize when they stood before God, they entered into a holy covenant with each other and before God and themselves. And so again, they said, we will follow God's word. We will not intermarry because the moment they intermarry, that's when they begin to serve other gods. And young people, parents, I'm challenging you, if you've got a single daughter, if you've got a single son in your life, listen, just because that person they're dating is good looking, just because they come from a good family, you need to instill in your children the importance of making sure they only marry someone who is of the same faith as you are. Because it'll save you a lot of trouble. And also you're going to be going against God's word. Third thing, we'll move on. Not only will we, not, will we walk in the ways of the Lord, not only will we not intermarry, he says, they say this, and let's go into verse 39, then we'll come back up. This is the last thing they commit to this. They say, thus we will not neglect the house of our God. Three things there. Three things. They say, we'll walk in the ways of the Lord, we'll, we'll obey God's commandments, we'll do what he tells us to do, we'll live according to his precepts, we'll make sure we don't intermarry with foreigners because if we do that, we're likely to have our hearts turned away and begin to serve other gods. And the third thing they say is this, we will not neglect God's house. We won't neglect God's house. Now, if you read verses 31 through 38, and you can do this later on, they make some commitments there, what they will do. They say, we won't work on the Sabbath, okay? We'll make sure that we're not working on the Sabbath because the Sabbath is a day of rest. It's a day that we focus on God, and I don't want to get into all that about, the, about, about whether the Sabbath has passed or whether Jesus did away with the Sabbath, those kind of things. But the point is this, they would not neglect spending time with God. Okay, they wouldn't work so hard that they forget about God. Then they say this, they will support God's house with their grains, with their wood, their money, their first fruits, their dough, their wine, their oil, their tithe, etc. In other words, we will rightfully give to God's house what belongs to God's house. I understand there's a difference there between the old covenant and the new. I understand that. But listen, what the, the point here I think that we need to realize is this. Is that the more you are invested in something, the less likely you are to quit and walk away from it. The more you are invested in something, the less you are likely to throw in the towel and say, I'm out of here. And these people said, 
We will make sure that we are taking care of God's house. And listen, I don't talk much about money here. I promise you that. Y'all know I don't. I don't even talk much about tithe here. But God has been faithful to us. He's been faithful to us because we just got people that know that God owns everything. And I should give him back a portion of what is rightfully his. And I'll say this, okay, and I won't say it again for another couple years, hopefully, about money. But God has never failed me as far as supplying my needs. As far as supplying my needs. It blesses my heart when I, and I don't look at it much, but when I see young people here at this church that are still in high school, that they'll be given an offering with their little envelope there saying, this is God's money. I want to rightfully give it back to God. Because they know, they've been taught that he's a faithful God that he will bless us, that he will take care of us. He will take care of his children. And again, what they basically said is this, we will give our time, we will give our talent, and we will give our treasure to the house of God. See, Hebrews 10.25 says that we should not forsake the, our own assembling together as is the habit of some but even much more as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. So understand this. I'm saying this. Listen, going to church doesn't prove you're saved, but if you're saved, you ought to want to gather together and fellowship with the body of Christ. You ought to want to gather together and fellowship with the body of Christ. You just simply ought to do that. You ought to do that. So again, it's just coming and playing. Three things they said. We'll walk in obedience to God's word. We'll separate ourselves from the world. We'll not give our daughters or sons in marriage to foreigners, to, to unbelievers. And we will not neglect the house of God. There's an old saying that goes something like this. An ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure, right? An ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. What does that mean when you hear that? It's better to go ahead and just in my terms to set yourself up some boundaries in your life so that you don't have to come back and have to redo a lot of things to fix things. We know in carpentry, what they say? They say measure twice, cut once. Instead of cutting once and, instead of cutting twice and measuring, because you only measure one time. Now I know this is not exciting stuff today, right, for most of us. This all boils down to discipline. 
your emotions will not last. They won't always stay the same. But you cannot live your Christian life on how you feel that day. You've got to discipline yourself. Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He said, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. I've got to discipline my emotions. I've got to discipline my mind. I've got to discipline my body and make it my slave. And so church, as you're standing Because of all what God has done for you, what's your response to Him? What's your response to Him? These people in Nehemiah's day said, we're making a covenant, we're writing it down, this is what we're going to do. And let me tell you something. It wasn't long after that, those emotions were gone. And I've seen, there's no telling how many times, I've seen it here in the last year or so, a couple just come down and just be boo-hooing and crying crocodile tears and say, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this right here. But a few weeks later, I don't know what happened to them. Why? Because you can't make a commitment based on your emotions solely. You've got to realize after the thrill is gone, what am I going to do? Am I going to discipline my body and make it a slave? And you know what this really is? It's a safeguard for our faith. It's a safeguard for our faith. So I'm asking us, make a commitment today to get in God's Word and follow His Word. Even when you don't like it, even when it hurts, follow his word. Young people, make a commitment. I will not yoke up with anybody that isn't a true, sold-out believer in Christ Jesus. It'll save you some problems. Make a commitment. I will not neglect God's house. If you'll do those things, and I know there's other things you can do, but if you'll do those things, it'll safeguard your faith. It'll safeguard your faith and keep you from shipwreck of your faith. I want us to make contact with somebody beside you. Since we're running out of time this morning. And I want us to think about, before we pray, how good God has been to us. How good has God been to you? He woke you up this morning. He put food on your table this week. He's gave you a job. If, you've able to, if you're able to walk into God's house, He's blessed you with good health. What can you do in response to what God has done for you? The least we could do is live for Him. The least we could do is not neglect His body, His house. Young person, single person, the least you can do is say, Lord, I make a commitment to you. I will not, I will not yoke up with anybody that's not a follower of Christ. Lord Jesus, 
I pray for us as a church and as individuals this morning. God, that we can take this chapter, chapter 10, Lord, and God, we can apply the principles to our life today, Heavenly Father. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to get back to your word, Lord Jesus, to live according to your word, live according to the statutes, the principles, and the precepts, Heavenly Father, because they are a lamp to our feet. They're a light to our path, Lord Jesus. They're there to protect us, to lead us and guide us. They're there for our safety, Heavenly Father. I pray for young people here today, single people today, God. I pray, God, that they would lean upon you, God, that they would give themselves totally and completely to you, Heavenly Father. And, God, they would make a commitment to you, God. They will not yoke up with anyone that's not of the faith, Lord Jesus. And I pray as your people, Lord, that we would not neglect your house. God, that we would rightfully give what belongs to you, Heavenly Father. Not because it earns our salvation, but because of our salvation, we want to do good things for you, Lord. And we want to give back what rightfully belongs to you. Come on, let's sing this song. Sing it before we dismiss. You are worthy of it all. So again, it's just coming and playing. Three things they said. We'll walk in obedience to God's word. We'll separate ourselves from the world. We'll not give our daughters or sons in marriage to foreigners, to, to unbelievers. And we will not neglect the house of God. There's an old saying that goes something like this. An ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. Right? An ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. What does that mean when you hear that? It's better to go ahead and just in my terms to set yourself up some boundaries in your life so that you don't have to come back and have to redo a lot of things to fix things. We know in carpentry, what they say? They say measure twice, cut once. Instead of cutting once and, instead of cutting twice and measuring, because you only measure one time. Now I know this is not exciting stuff today, right, for most of us. This all boils down to discipline. Your emotions will not last. They won't always stay the same. But you cannot live your Christian life on how you feel that day. You've got to discipline yourself. Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He said, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. I've got to discipline my emotions. I've got to discipline my mind. I've got to discipline my body and make it my slave. And so church, as you're standing, because of all what God has done for you, what's your response to him? What's your response to him? These people in Nehemiah's day said, we're making a covenant, we're writing it down. This is what we're going to do. And let me tell you something. 
It wasn't long after that. Those emotions were gone. And I've seen, there's no telling how many times, I've seen it here in the last year or so, a couple just come down and just be boo-hooing and crying crocodile tears and say, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this right here. But a few weeks later, I don't know what happened to them. Why? Because you can't make a commitment based on your emotions solely. You've got to realize after the thrill is gone, what am I going to do? Am I going to discipline my body and make it a slave? You know what this really is? It's a safeguard for our faith. It's a safeguard for our faith. So I'm asking us, make a commitment today to get in God's Word and follow His Word. Even when you don't like it. Even when it hurts. Follow His Word. Young people, Make a commitment. I will not yoke up with anybody that isn't a true, sold-out believer in Christ Jesus. It'll save you some problems. Make a commitment. I will not neglect God's house. If you'll do those things, and I know there's other things you can do, but if you'll do those things, it'll safeguard your faith. It'll safeguard your faith and keep you from shipwreck of your faith. I want us to make contact with somebody beside you. Since we're running out of time this morning. And I want us to think about, before we pray, how good God has been to us. How good has God been to you? He woke you up this morning. He put food on your table this week. He's gave you a job. If, you've able to, if you're able to walk into God's house, He's blessed you with good health. What can you do in response to what God has done for you? The least we could do is live for Him. The least we could do is not neglect His body, His house. And young person, single person, the least you can do is say, Lord, I make a commitment to you. I will not. I will not yoke up with anybody that's not a follower of Christ.